Welcome to the Industrial IoT Spotlight, your number one spot for insight from industrial IoT thought leaders who are transforming businesses today with your host, Eric Walenza. Welcome back to the Industrial IoT Spotlight podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walenza, CEO of IoT One the consultancy that specializes in supporting digital transformation of operations and businesses. Our guest today is Remy Lorraine, chair of the LoRa Alliance Operator Community and LoRaWAN Networks Director at Semtech. Semtech is a leading supplier of high-performance analog and mixed-signal semiconductors and advanced algorithms for infrastructure, high-end consumer equipment, and industrial equipment. In this talk, we discuss technical advances that make it possible to deploy LoRaWAN networks globally using next-generation satellites. We also explored the decision criteria for determining when to use a terrestrial LoRaWAN network, a satellite network, or another alternative such as 5G. If you find these conversations valuable, please leave us a comment and a five-star review. And if you'd like to share your company's story or recommend a speaker, please email us at team at iot one. Dot com. Finally, if you have an IoT research, strategy, or training initiative that you would like to discuss, you can email me directly at erik.walenza at iot1.com. Thank you. Remy, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So, uh, Remy, before we kick off and, and get into this topic, which is a super interesting topic, kind of the, the future of you know, satellite connectivity for, for the IoT. Um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about yourself. I think that somehow you've been in this uh, in this space for almost, what, two decades, almost three decades now. Can you just uh, share with us, when did you first touch on the topic of IoT connectivity personally? So sure. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here. So two topics that are uh, fascinating, I think. So I am Rémi Laurent. Uh, I am from Semtech in charge of the LoRaWAN operator uh, business development globally and sharing the LoRa Alliance operator community. That's more than 25 years that I've been in the operator market working for mobile operators. I was uh, initially had a degree in uh, satellite communication aeronautics and satellite communication, so it's not new. And I've been working for IoT since uh, 2015. I had the opportunity to see the three main technologies that are on the market. I mean, cellular IoT, Sigfox, and LoRaLoRaWAN. So it, it, I think it gives me a kind of uh, overview. And I will not lie when saying that I, I, I work now for the best technology. I really believe in it, Laura and Laura One, and I will explain why. Okay. Okay. Well, you are a, uh, a champion, certainly, of, of Laura. Let, let's talk a little bit about the organizations you're working for, because you're, you're split a little bit between Semtech and then the Laura Alliance, which are, of course, very close partners. Can you just share with us uh, a little bit about both of the organizations and then how do they collaborate together? Semtech is a high-end silicon company since the uh, 70s. Semtech is a leading supplier of high-performance analog and mixed 
signal semiconductors and advanced algorithm for infrastructure, high-end customers and industrial equipment. Semtech is just enabling mission-critical application in Internet of Things with LoRa, but not only, also for data centers. Think about the very high capacities fiber optic systems in data centers that have been increasing dramatically in the last year with the COVID. And also mobility, we operate on a fiber optic system, 5G long-haul systems, but also on the consumer market. So Semtech is the company that has the patent for LoRa and uh, uh, LRFHSS, that is the LoRa for satellites. This technology is uh, by DNA an ecosystem type of technology. It's what we can name the network effect here. And the LoRa physical layer is linked to a interconnection layer that is named LoRa One. It's all about interconnecting end nodes, gateway, network server. So all what you need to make a uh, complete network. The LoRa Alliance of uh, Semtech is one of the founders was set up in uh, 2015. And today account for more than 400 members in all region, whatever it is, uh, North America, Asia, Latin America, Middle East, Africa, and Europe. It's growing very fast. And you have both tier one players for all market uh, segments or market uh, type of act actors. It can be uh, carrier one operators, cloud companies, or uh, system integrators. And LoRa Alliance is key also to uh, develop, amplify the, the future of, of LoRa. And at the LoRa Alliance, I, I, I chair the operator community and also the EMEA region. Okay, great. And, and when you mentioned that Semtech owns the IP behind uh, LoRa, what, is that a protocol? Is it silicon design? What exactly is that intellectual property? So the intellectual Property is ob about the physical layer, what we name the modulation and the chip design. Okay. But since uh, more than one year, we sub-license also the technology, for instance, to ST uh, microelectronic. So it's not the only company, uh, let's say, able to deploy this IP. But yes, it's the physical layer, the radio layer for the specialist. Got you. Okay, great. And today we're going to be looking at the the topic of, of satellites, which I think is is fascinating as an alternative for IoT connectivity. But before we go there, can you just give us a brief on where we sit today in terms of the different applications for LoRaWAN? What are the most typical applications that somebody might see in the field today? So today, the number one application is utility, water metering, that account for tens of millions units across the world. Because uh, LoRa LoRa One solved the problem that other technologies struggle to solve. I mean, business model flexibility, very very uh, low power, cost efficiency, and simplicity, while being compliant with security on that kind of stuff. That's clearly the number one use case today. But other use cases are spreading across the world: uh, asset and logistics, for instance. And on the top of that, smart building also is uh, is scaling very fast because with the business model flexibility, the network topology flexibility, 
LoRaWAN is very easy to deploy on a warehouse or in a building for a, a business or private company. We see also growing some hybrid business model. I think that cities and communities are uh, keen on LoRaWAN because uh, you can choose between a operator business model or completely open uh, community or private business model where you buy one of your infrastructure and you can operate. It's something that it's not easy for with cellular technologies, for instance, that are mainly delivered by cellular operators. Okay. And on the market perspective, Laura Laura One has been increasing dramatically for the last five years. We account today for 191 million end nodes. 150 operators use the technology and uh, analysts like ABI Research anticipate that more than 50% of all non-cellular LP1 connection will feature LoRa in 2026, for instance. So we have a very strong move in our region, with uh, LoRa being deployed in more than 160 countries, right? But we have uh, something that we lack. Not more than 20% of LANs are covered by terrestrial networks today. And most of IoT use cases, because it was your question, require wide coverage. Logistics and transportation, for instance, maritime, asset tracking or smart agriculture are clearly growing uh, use cases that will require very wide coverage that terrestrial network, but even cellular, are not able to deliver today. Okay? And it's not a surprise that we have 60 plus IoT constellation, yes, 60 plus, that are uh, looking at uh, massive IoT through satellite. And many of them are looking at uh, LoRa. Okay, so the, the traditional architecture, would this look like a traditional cellular architecture where you have towers and then you might have some kind of base station in a, a factory or um, some kind of other centralized zone and you would have connectivity within, let's say, a kilometer of that zone? Is that, is that more of the, the traditional LoRaWAN architecture? So, in short, we have uh, we are able to have exactly the same architecture as cellular because, uh, like uh, more than 30 cellular operators use also LoRaWAN, LoRa LoRaWAN in the world. So they deploy exactly as such. But we have more possibilities than with cellular. You can also deploy indoor architecture for a mall, for instance, or for a building. And that's one of the reasons why some cellular operators use LoRa LoRa One, because they think that in some cases, imagine that you have to expand your 4G network to cover IoT use cases. It's not, in many cases, it's not cost efficient. It would be cost efficient if you have also broadband services in the same building. But most of the time, you have only IoT based services. So therefore, the cost efficiency, the simplicity of LoRa LoRa One will make the difference, even for cellular operators. It's it's uh, it's funny, but it's what we see on the market. So it's not a it's not a competition that we have with cellular. It's more a, a clear complementarity. Okay, so the cellular operator could offer LoRa One as um, part of their portfolio in order to meet the let's say low power, uh, more low power needs. And then if I understand a 
uh, a business, let's say a, a, a factory or a port, could also buy the infrastructure and basically run their own network if they had enough requirements within that network. Is that is that also an option here? That's exactly the case. That's exactly that, in fact. Okay, so you can play with your uh, budget uh, constraints. If you prefer capex or opex, you can make it happen with a LoRa LoRa one with uh, let's say tens of different business models. Okay, great. And now we're looking at this new architecture, which is the satellite architecture. Maybe before we talk about LoRaWAN, let's just touch on what's happening with satellites right now. I mean, I, I am not an expert in this area at, at all, but at least my, my impression, just as somebody outside the industry, is that things didn't change too much for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we started seeing really rapid development of infrastructure and space. I don't know if this is accurate. That's just my impression. But uh, how how do you view the kind of the market trajectory for the satellites in the past decades? So in the in the past decades, what we had we had uh, carriers operating mainly geostationary satellites for TV broadcast and voice communication can be also for mobility for enterprise, providing some what we we named at that time fixed linked with uh, very large uh, dishes. The evolution of the last five years uh, are of two natures. First, it's the first uh, wave of over-the-top internet communication. So people do not yet completely watch the TV through a uh, TV operator. They watch the TV through internet. So they kind of have a workaround or disintermediate the TV operators. And now it came to play that you have to deliver internet and not directly TV program to end users. That the reason why there is a clear move and pivot into broadband services. You see so many constellations providing broadband services these last years, able to deliver more than 2,000 satellites. The a second uh, evolution of satellite is uh, kind of to go toward innovative markets because as uh, analysts anticipate billions of massive IoT devices, we see uh, the development of tens of constellations. I, uh, I counted something like 60 plus projects today just to deploy massive IoT. What is massive IoT? Uh, it's quite different from broadband services. These are low throughput, low data rates. And the characteristic, it's able to connect devices that are tiny, uh, that should consume uh, very uh, few energy and may last uh, more than five to 10 years in remote areas. So the architecture is, is pretty different. And what we see growing are what we name low orbit uh, constellation. Uh, two triggers that this constellation have, have, have been uh, flourishing. The first trigger is the cost decrease of rockets and launch cost. See what's happening with uh, SpaceX, for instance. And the second trigger of the market was the uh, cost of satellites. Now we see CubeSight of the size of a, of a, a, a shoebox that uh, weighs like uh, uh, 400 grams. And of course, you imagine that the cost of deployment and operation of the satellite is very low. 
So it provided the access to startup. And we, she, we, saw, we see, sorry, a fight between carriers moving to uh, Leo Constellation to capture the IoT market and internet market. And at the same time, you see startup, uh, one from the Silicon Valley, for instance, raising funds quickly because the market is uh, uh, easily fund that kind of project and deploy many, many, many low-cost constellations. Who will win? We don't know today, but uh, we have to take seriously into account every type of actor. Swarm is one of them, for instance, in, in the US. Swarm have, has been able to deploy today uh, almost, uh, so more than 80 satellites. They have a plan of 150 satellites. Imagine that this type of constellation will make them able to cover globally with a few minutes latency. But at the same time, you have EcoStar. EcoStar is a giant, also a US player, but here we talk about the EcoStar Mobile, the subsidiary in Europe of EcoStar. And EcoStar as a carrier is also trying to capture this massive IoT market and will not use the uh, LEO satellite constellation, but leverage their existing high-end geostationary uh, infrastructure to do this. So these are the two nice examples of the market trend, startup and carrier. Yeah, and it's a bit of a gold rush right now, right? Because the territory is not being licensed out. It's not really owned by anybody. So it's, it's a bit of a first come, first serve in terms of territory in, in the orbits, if I understand. It'd be quite interesting to see how this plays out. What is the the architecture then? Is it a direct connection from the satellites down to the device, or is there kind of towers that the satellites are communicating with that are magnifying the, the signal out to the local devices? So we have two types of architecture today on the market. One is legacy. That's more than 10 years that uh, operators have been delivering that. It's the gateway to satellites setup. You just put your gateway, your radio gateway somewhere in the desert or on a boat, and you connect your gateway to internet instead of doing that through Wi-Fi or 3G or 4G connection. You connect a VSAT connection direct to satellite. Nothing new, but you have to be aware that it's, it's uh, one of the legacy setup of satellites. So I will give you an example. I will uh, cover a mine with uh, uh, sensors able to monitor the worker safety. I will deploy my devices uh, on the factory that can be in the middle of nowhere. Okay. I will concentrate the connection to sensors through a gateway that will be put on the top, on the rooftop of a, a building. And the connection between the gateway and internet will go through a satellite. Okay, that's something that is legacy today. But the new trend of the market, that was your, your question, I think, it's to connect directly the devices to satellites. Because imagine that if I have to monitor a pipeline that is spread across hundreds of kilometers, the range of a gateway is only tens of kilometers, so it will not work. So I have, I have to connect my satellite directly to devices. And here, that's the new architecture. So your device is connected to satellite. Satellites are moving. 
at one point of time, the satellite is passing over the device. The device will transmit its data to the satellite. Then the satellite is going to move again. It will uh, pass over a ground station, deliver through downlink the data to a ground station somewhere in the world. And this ground station is already connected on Earth to Internet and will transmit the signal or the data to an application server. And everything is moving, right? Uh, sensors can be moving. Satellites clearly on LEO constellation are moving very fastly, but the ground, the ground station are fixed. Okay. And you have to synchronize. It's not quite easy. Technically, it's a challenge. You have to synchronize on time all these network parts between the end device, the sensor, the LEO satellite passing over your head. And they have to synchronize emission between device and satellite and satellite and ground station. But today, it's a challenge that has been uh, achieved by, uh, let's say, the world technology. And we are happy to see this uh, constellation growing. I understand now that there's two architectures here. And this more modern architecture allows you to receive data from yeah, individual devices. Maybe we can get a bit more into the metrics here, the potential trade-offs. So I imagine there might be, I'm thinking of four. So we have uh, latency or how quickly can the data be sent and received. We have the maybe the bandwidth, so how much data can be effectively sent th this way. We have power consumption or if we have a, a sensor somewhere, you know, maybe if it's not plugged in, how long can that sensor survive in the field while it's transmitting data to satellites? I assume that actually requires a bit more energy than maybe lower, you know, closer, closer signals. And then lastly, the, the cost, how the cost might compare to other options. Is there anything else that you would consider to be kind of a critical uh, decision factor aside from those four? Yes, that's, that's a very good point. If, except the geostationary satellites like EcoStar that have no latency, that's the strength of this setup, all uh, LEO constellations have latency. If I deploy three satellites, I will have a kind of uh, six to 10 hours latency between two passes of your satellite or two times I am able to emit data. If I deploy a swarm constellation with uh, like close to 100 satellites, it will be a few minutes latency. Okay, so latency is the first uh, dimension. In terms of the second uh, KPI could be the payload size. If you look at Swarm, Swarm has an offering where you can go up to 192 bytes per message. Okay, so it, it gives you an order of magnitude. The size of the payload is between 50 bytes and let's say 200 bytes on the market. So very small in a way. And uh, then you have the uh, data rate that is uh, through hundreds of bits per second. But for some constellation with a license spectrum, you may have increasing data rate that uh, could be up to hundreds of K bit per second. And wh what is interesting in the data rates, it's uh, the higher the data rate, the shortest time on air. The shortest time on air save your battery lifetime. Okay. If your emission lasts one second instead of five seconds, you will gain five times on your battery lifetime. 
Okay? And battery lifetime is the first criteria for end customer for in massive IoT. You can imagine that if I deploy my device in the middle of the desert or in the mountains in Latin America, I will not go and change my battery every time or every week. It will cost me a lot, right? So that's the reason why, as it is in remote areas, very uh, small sensors, think about your total cost of ownership. You put your device and you hope that you will never intervene on the, on the field. So coming back to this point of um, data rate, can you just put that into terms that my mothers could understand? So what can we actually transfer? What type of useful information can we transfer for you know, 100 bits? What, what's, what's within scope and what's outside of scope for this type of data rate? So you will not transmit large amounts of, uh, of image or file. It, will be, it can be tricky to do software updates, for instance. It could be tricky to have artificial analytics, AI, sorry, artificial intelligence, where you have to send very large amount of data. Most of the time, you will transmit the status of a sensor a temperature value, for instance, pressure value, a measurement of one parameter that can be a humidity for a soil monitoring. These are mainly measurements of raw value coming from sensors. Temperature, humidity, pressure, these are some things that you can transmit very, very low uh, number of bytes. Okay? And if you want to transmit more, a bigger amount of data, you have to, you will have to split your transmission between multiple messages. And it will cost your battery lifetime as well. Okay. So it's all about sensors. These are not transmitting image or video. Forget about transmitting video to make it simple. That was something that I can do with Wi-Fi. I will not be able to do that in massive IoT. Okay? Geofencing. I want to check my, my worker is not entering a hazardous area in the factory because it's dangerous. He will get in. I have the information that somebody got in, went in a specific area. It's a zero of a one information. Okay? Yes. Yeah, clear. Okay, so we're transmitting sensor data. And then you were just going to, I think, get into the topic of, of costs then. So what are we looking at from a cost perspective? And maybe you can compare this to like a traditional ground-based LoRaWAN uh, architecture. So uh, there are multiple costs. First, the cost of the sensors itself. The difference between a satellite sensor and a traditional uh, terrestrial sensor are on two sides. First, there is a software upgrade to get LRFHSS, uh, Long Range Frequency Hopping spread, uh, Spectrum. For your mother, it's just the LoRaWAN for satellite. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's no specific cost. And you have to have a good, high-quality antenna design. So maybe you can have an additional cost for uh, antenna design, but it's a very uh, small order of magnitude. So in short, I would say the cost of the device side are comparable 
to what we see traditionally on a terrestrial network. What you have to add to this cost is the what you will have to pay to the satellite operator. Okay? Up to now, the cost of satellite connectivity was higher than the terrestrial network. It can be some sometimes uh, x-fold higher. It can be very expensive, but there is a clear value behind, right? Uh, who is able to deploy the network connecting your device? Especially for critical applications. It made, it made sense for specific safety. Uh, imagine uh, safety in maritime. You don't care about paying because that's the life of people that, that is uh, uh, here uh, that we talk about. But now with massive IoT, the trend of the market, player, I think that we will still see a premium between satellite companies and terrestrial network. Because there is clearly a value, but it will be, you will not have twofold or you will not have a big difference between the pricing model. The order of magnitude will be in a few percent of cost differences. It will not be two to five fold or two to tenfold like uh, for the legacy system. And over time, the cost differences between satellite and terrestrial will probably decrease because satellite operators may amortize also their infrastructure. And in IoT, there is something that is uh, interesting to understand. You may pay not just for connectivity because a sensor is not emitting a message every second, right? You may pay only when you send messages. So it will open the way to smart business model as you pay. So imagine if you design your application that is only event-based, you may reduce your number of communication and thus reduce the cost that you have to pay to the satellite company. So massive IoT will trigger, enable some smart business model where the bill will be reasonable for both parts. Okay, I transmit less, I pay less. But the good thing for the satellite company is that they will be able to put more customers on the same infrastructure. So it will be a win-win approach. Okay, great, great. Um, and where are we in this today? So this sounds like a, a very useful ad addition to the portfolio of uh, connectivity solutions. Is this architecture already active uh, today? Is it mostly in, in pilot form? Do we have use cases already at scale? So you have two types of setup today. We talked about Swarm. Swarm is commercially available globally. Okay. And if you go to the website, you will see a data plan. For instance, $5 per month per, per device. So you have a clear pricing model. You have an offering and you have customers connected to Swarm. Okay. It's commercial. And you have also many projects. More projects are under test and POC than uh, commercial, to be honest, today, but is growing. EcoStar, for instance, is uh, currently decided to test LRFHSS, and it's not yet commercial, okay? So it, it might be commercial uh, in a few months, but today they are at testing phase. And if you look at the pipeline that we have today, of course, we have tens, the order of magnitude is tens of uh, projects in POC or prototype phase. 
I could say we observe that the majority of uh, massive IoT satellite projects today are under POC phase. Okay, clear. It, maybe if we look at a, a couple of the most uh, mature projects, what would be the the industries? Are we talking about, uh, you've mentioned a couple, you've mentioned shipping, you've mentioned maybe oil pipelines. What are the areas where markets are, or industries are furthest along in adopting satellite for IoT? So we see two types of players. First, the global ones. A tracking company coming to us and say, hey, we would like to connect our trackers, can be uh, uh, car recovery trackers, can be pet trackers, can be safety trackers for mountain activities, but they want to be global or can be just asset tracking, right? The second uh, type of customer that we have are regional. We have a customer asking for maybe coverage in the US for smart agriculture or coverage in Latin America for environmental application. They want to anticipate earthquake, earthquake, for instance, in the whole Latin America region. We have customers willing to monitor oil veil in Middle East and Africa. But that, that is more regional. We have multiple customers in Europe because it's a growing use case for logistics and asset tracking, willing to have a connectivity across Europe. Because in, in Europe, we have more than 80 LoRaWAN network operators. And it might be easier for outdoor use case because uh, we talk here about outdoor use cases to deal with one satellite company instead of uh, having to set up roaming agreement with 80 countries. Can be also an indirect effect of satellite. It's one interconnection for a large uh, coverage, mainly outdoor. It does not compete at all with indoor coverage uh, provided by terrestrial network or it does not compete with very dense areas in big cities where satellite will not be the most efficient uh, uh, connectivity. Satellite will be more efficient for rural areas, hard to reach areas. So it's a pure complementarity with terrestrial network. And I think they will collaborate through roaming. It's what we see coming also on the market. Okay, okay, very interesting. Yeah, we have a, a case. I mean, I don't, I'm not actually not sure if this is using satellites or, or traditional cellular, but we have a case right now, which is a company wanting to sell devices into multiple regions. And just the, the cost and complexity of deciding which SIM card to put into which, uh, which sensor before you ship it out, it's sufficient enough to, to justify having kind of this, this type of all-in-one plan, right? There's a, just on the manufacturing side quite a savings in terms of complexity reduction and being able to put one chip in. And, you know. Yes, agree. It's a side effect. It's a, we were not expecting that some customers choose satellites to simplify interconnection. That's funny to see that because it was not the goal, but it is a clear outcome that we see on the market. I think that it will also accelerate interconnection between terrestrial network. It will put a kind of pressure that terrestrial network maybe will uh, more cooperate into interconnection. That could be a positive outcome. You see what I mean? 
Absolutely. So let's say, yeah, there's a network that has 150 countries, but they don't have the open seas, right? So, uh, you know, of course, that would be something they'd want to add to their connectivity portfolio. What does network coverage look like from satellites today? Because uh, I guess if we look 20 years ago, it would be heavily centered over big urban areas, maybe with, or well, let's say wherever satellite dishes for TV are needed. I guess today is it still, I suppose to some extent, it's unequally distributed around the world. Are there still significant dark spaces or spaces where maybe a satellite only passes over once a day and other places where a satellite's pretty much always over? Or are we starting to fill the dark spaces in quite quickly? So the, the beauty of a low orbit satellite is that now you almost almost have no blind spot, maybe except, except in the polar areas where you have to get a specific uh, architecture. But with LEO satellite, consider that every place of the world is covered by the LEOSAT because LEO satellites are circling around the Earth. Okay? And there is a kind of delay. For after every circle, you delay X degrees and you start a second circle. To make it simple, after a few hours, every single place of the globe has been covered. You can cover globally with only three satellites in LEO. You will just have latency, right? Like I explained, you will have maybe 10 hours latency. But after 10 hours, every point of the globe will have seen the satellite. So with LEOSAT, all players will be able to play global. So that's the advantage. So normally, we will have less blind spot, like, like we see with TV, where a geostationary satellite is maybe focused on some region with massive IoT Leo satellite, it will not be the case. Okay, fascinating. Yeah, we had a, um, a company on a couple months ago called D-Orbit, and they build uh, logistics uh, solutions for managing satellites. So basically, um, deploying satellites, collecting them, making sure they don't crash into each other. I mean, it's uh, it's really incredible to see the explosion in, of of innovation and, and complexity in this system. Remy, is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that's uh, important for folks to understand about uh, LoRaWAN through satellite connectivity? So, an important things like in IoT, we believe that uh, standard will help to scale these uh, technologies. I put an S. LoRa today is a de facto standard, and LoRaWAN is uh, reinforcing this uh, standardization process. It's key to, to that people know that LoRaWAN satellites uh, based on LRFHSS has been endorsed by the LoRa Alliance in uh, December 2020. And I believe that in the next years, the winning players may be the one using terrestrial standard for satellite. I mean, LoRaWAN is a de facto standard on Earth. It would become the same standard for satellites, bridging, space, and Earth. It's going to be the same with 5G satellites that is going to connect with terrestrial 5G network. Today, the satellite uh, projects are mainly proprietary. What I see coming, what I see growing, is the use of terrestrial standard to be applied, expanded to satellite. 
I mean the two leading ones are and are going to be LoRaWAN and 5G satellite. I think it's a, it's a visible trend of the market. Is there overlap? I mean, certainly 5G is also meant to be low latency, high, high, uh, high bandwidth. Is there significant overlap in the use cases or are they more complementary? They are exactly like on Earth, complementary. It's what you observe. If you have to, let's say, to transmit large amount of data, if you need a strong downlink capacity, if you need real-time application, if you need continuity between a cellular 5G network and space, 5G satellite will be the one. If you need a flexible business model, cost-efficient solution, battery consumption is something that is vital for your use case, LoRaWAN is, is, is probably the best. And what we will have probably, we will have satellite companies like on Earth operating both, in fact. You put one satellite and on your satellite, you have one 5G sat payload and one LoRa, LoRa one payload. Okay? Because the biggest cost is the satellite itself. Then you can uh, embed multiple technologies on it with the software-defined uh, radio architectures, for instance. Okay, fascinating. Well, we are getting ready for a much more connected world. Let's see, Remy, any, anything else we should touch on here? No, that's okay. I was uh, pleased that you asked all these questions, that uh, we could really share the, let's say, the deepness of this uh, market. And you understood that it is intru- instrumental for the development of massive IoT. Remember one KPI. Only 20% of the Earth is covered by terrestrial network. So think about that and let's discuss uh, maybe in three, six months. And you will see that satellite will uh, develop. Yeah, well, this is huge. I always tell people, you know, in IoT, there's there's two big branches, right? There's the complexity branch, which is doing things that are cutting edge for very sophisticated process manufacturing, digital twin, this type of thing. But then there's the simplicity branch, which is how do we make things cheaper and simpler so that, you know, deploying a, you know, a, a 10,000 sensors costs me, you know, a very manageable budget and it doesn't require much management bandwidth. I can just say, okay, we're going to allocate $100,000. It's going to take uh, a, a month. We have a project team and we get it done. No problem. And that second branch for me is almost more exciting than the first, right? Was, there's so many things that, 10 years ago were extremely expensive and extremely complicated and required a lot of management coordination and technical coordination. And today they're plug and play and they're affordable. And that is, in a lot of cases, that's the most transformational thing is just making technology simpler to use and more cost-effective. And so I can see this being a huge, huge push forward for a lot of things that we've known how to do them. It's just been too too cost prohibitive and too complex to to do them in the past, right? So this is going to be, yeah, really, really an exciting decade ahead. Thanks for coming and sharing this uh, perspective on it. My pleasure. I come back when you want. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, let's definitely do a review in in two years. I'll be really interested to see where we are then. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for tuning into another edition of the IoT Spotlight podcast. If you find these conversations valuable, please leave us a comment and a five-star review. And if you'd like to share your company's story or recommend a speaker, 
please email us at team at iot1.com. Finally, if you have an IoT research, strategy, or training initiative that you would like to discuss, you can email me directly at erik.walenza at iot1.com. Thank you.